0: Good morning. My name is Ian Power. I'm here with Steve Seaborn, the little contractor. We'll open up a phone line for you if you want to jump in on Father's Day. We'll keep the line open throughout the hour for anything that might happen to be going on at your place. If you're in the doghouse this morning because you neglected to do whatever it was you're supposed to do this week, uh, the weekend is here, so... Why not take this opportunity to put the little contractor to task? Our phone number is 604 280 9898 or star 9898 if you're on a cell phone. If you're on the road this morning, heading to Father's Day brunch. Happy Father's Day. Uh, happy Father's Day, Steve. Uh, yeah, did, you your, as well. did your children, uh, well, thank you. Uh, did your children serve you breakfast in bed? What are you supposed to get? Breakfast in bed or beer in bed or? Something I'll, like I'll take
1: any of that. I'm I'm down to one of three. Two have taken off to a soccer tournament, and I have the eldest at home, and um, I think I'll probably have to make her breakfast when I get home. Oh,
0: is that right? She didn't get up and wish you a good day and send you off on your way? Well, I got a grumble-mumble good day. But okay. uh, well, As it? long as you got a grumble-mumble. <laughs> Coming up uh, in, in about 20 minutes, we're going to talk about uh, home tech toys, must-haves for dads. Uh, on Father's Day. So that's coming up in about 20 minutes from right now, and we'll, we'll take calls uh, if you like on that as well. And we're also going to uh, talk to Tony Gioventu, who is not only the Executive Director for the Condominium Homeowners Association, but he's also on that uh, special advisory committee from the Real Estate Council. That's the, the advisory committee there. It's an independent advisory committee that was supposed to report at the beginning of June we're now halfway through the month, but they themselves, the committee, and this is not not terribly unusual, asked for an extension and they received it. Uh, I He wouldn't talk too much about what the report contains. Obviously, he couldn't. The final report hasn't come out. We did see the interim report that came out in April, and it looks like there may be some recommendations that I hope are, are worthwhile. So we'll get to that in just a couple of minutes. First thing, First, on our agenda today, Steve, and that is because I cannot tell you how many calls and how many emails came in over this past week asking about and i 'll call it deck maintenance, oh yeah people talking about their backyard decks, and we 've had Paula France on last weekend. We had uh, Carson Arthur on uh, these are two of the of canada 's most our uh, best known outdoors guys. Uh, the trick low for doing deck maintenance, and uh, I want to start with uh, first of all, is it too late to strip it back and either repaint it? I know you know, 're grimacing because you don't want to paint anyway and or restain so let 's start with power washing power sure. washing a deck uh, I guess it depends on the material doesn 't it
1: well, it does entirely uh, We did one this week it was a pressure treated compost or pressure treated radius edged deck board. And uh, we just started to do a wash. Now a wash is more than a garden hose, but uh, I like to use a very small power washer uh, for for doing the decks. In fact, it's an electric one. It's only 1500 PSI. And that's just simply to get more concentrated water rather than just the dribble of the hose. And it's an electric one, so the water's not running constantly. I lay the wand down, it's not running, it's not polluting the gas, etc. This particular wash turned out to be a stripping. Because it was paint that was on the deck, and it was it literally was blowing the paint off as we were cleaning it, so in that regard it 's okay because we 're going to redo it so that's a wood board deck if you're getting into composites or you're getting into a vinyl deck, then the handling is a little bit different you certainly if you're using more than the garden hose and a deck brush on a vinyl covered deck or a sheet vinyl style, you can be very, very careful. You can remove the surface and you can tear it and force water into places where you don't want it. Composite deck boards, really, they're more, um, they're happy just to have a deck brush and a garden hose. They don't need a lot of removal of stuff. If it's really bad, you've got some algae on you, you may have to go with a deck uh, wash, a commercial grade wash. But otherwise, um, really, there isn't a lot of maintenance to do on a composite deck.
0: Well, on the treated wood, uh, is it uh, basically no paint? Uh, Treated wood is probably best unpainted, better stained.
1: Treated wood itself uh, certainly cannot paint it. Uh, We can't paint it if if you have to go through a bunch of steps. It's got to be dry. The moisture content's got to be below a certain level. You have to prime it, then you have to paint it. The problem with painting it itself is it's a horizontal surface. It wears and it it just does not stick. And you don't get the underside done. Some moisture comes up and blows the paint off. It blisters it.
0: So many good stains now that are available, that have been, uh, have been designed to withstand rain and snow and all of the conditions, the weather, the sun, all of that, that, why wouldn't you just stain? Because generally speaking, a stain will last you a lot longer anyway than the paint.
1: Absolutely, and it will breathe. So you can get pigmented stains now. That's come a long way over the last 10, 15 years to actually get. Just about any color. Absolutely. They're tintable. Yeah. And water-based now. So that's the other good thing as well. You don't have to have the solvent. So they go on. They're they're very uh, easy to apply. Uh, cleanup is easy. You certainly have to still stay within the same application rules as far as the deck. Moisture should be below a certain level. So if you've power washed it, let it dry for the week. And uh, direct sunlight applications are a no-no. And make sure you don't paint yourself in the corner. All the usual rules. But a stain, pigmented, or semi-transparent, or whatever you want in there. Okay, so way. if
0: I... Uh, use a pressure washer today on a, a, let's say it's a painted wooden deck and I get it all off. I get it all clean, remove all the old paint. How long do I have to wait in order for me to be able to apply a stain?
1: You should be letting it go. Today's weather, for example, you're not going to be able to get at it again today. You're going to let it dry for a week without further water getting onto it. So if it rains, you're back to square one. Typically speaking, if you're power washing it, you are forcing a lot of water into the wood. You're going to have to let it dry for three days type of thing with some sunlight hitting at it. But now that you've removed the finish on it, you'll be very careful you're not exposing it to the ultraviolet light uh, from the sun and cracking boards, et cetera.
0: problem that I find with some of the composite materials, not all, and I think it's organic or it's atmospheric, is they become somewhat miscolored. Yes. So if you have a certain coloured deck, it's a composite... And it's been around for any length of time, and you don't wash it on a regular basis, that it becomes a little bit miscolored. Is is that is that
1: organic or is that atmosphere? Um, it's it's just aging. Some of the manufacturers do stipulate that in their uh, in their handbooks that they do age the the ultraviolet light hits them and they lighten them up. Uh, in some places where you have an overhang or if you have your mat, uh, you know, welcome mat sitting outside the door, you will see that there is some change going on there. Not really a whole lot you can do about it. There are some treatments you can get from the manufacturer that will say, this is how you can age that particular area. But they, they do age because there is some organic in them still, most of them.
0: How easy, you know, I'll go back to the wood deck for a second. How easy is it to replace one board?
1: It, it's, well, it depends on how it's fastened. Most deck boards are nailed down. If you're screwing them down, you can just uh, back out the screws. The problem with replacing one board is uh, the color will look different. But again, if you're finishing it, or staining it, it should disappear fine, but that's a good time to do it is, is before you get your next level of uh, finish on it.
0: And what about repairs to composite?
1: Composites, they're again, the same thing by fastening. Some of them have the hidden fasteners. Some of them are uh, topically fastened. It's always a good idea to have a few pieces left over anyways. If you're out in the barbecue, uh, on the deck on the barbecue and you happen to drop a steak knife and put a puncture mark, it's a good idea to be able to replace a few. Uh, they're They're hard to store, but try to store them in the same environment so they will colour. How long after the steak itself
0: has hit the composite deck can you eat it? Ten seconds. All right. Okay. We'll take a break. We're (laughs) going to come back with Tony Giaventu. He's got an interesting take on housing and real estate. That's next on the Home Discovery Show from News Talk 980 CKNW. In power with Steve Seaborn, the little contractor. Many complaining these days that real estate in Metro Vancouver is in a crisis While others are suggesting a correction can't be too far off, still others say it's simply supply and demand, and then there's the chorus of people who blame rightly or wrongly offshore investment. And the issue of affordability is headline news every day, it seems. I asked Tony Giaventu, Executive Director of CHOA, the Condominium Homeowners Association, for his take on the Vancouver real estate market.
2: We're in a, a, I think, really in a, and everyone collectively agrees on this, is that we're in a variety of circumstances that have kind of come together for the perfect storm. We have a housing shortage. We have high demands. We have economy that's robust. Uh, it's a stable economy worldwide uh, for investors to look at um, investment. We have lots of local investors um, who are holding property for speculation. And and the the economy of housing has changed. I, I think that's, that's also recognized in the real estate industry. The economy of real estate has changed. Um, Housing is now a worldwide commodity that's bought, sold, traded, and speculated on. It's not just a market where people are looking for a place to settle in for the next 35 years. And so the problem with that is, of course, families wanting to have an affordable location where they want to live are competing with this commodity structure. And that's one of the challenges I think that everyone's having to come to grips with. How do you manage the commodity structure with the traditional real estate models without actually dampering the effects of the economy. And that's, I, that's a very complicated problem to solve.
0: We know that after Expo 86 and then the 2010 Winter Olympics, where we opened ourselves to the world, that the world came. What impact has that had on our
2: real estate and housing market? Once again, here's Tony Gioventu. Well, one of the clips, news clips earlier said, used the comment to build it and they will come. And that's the problem is that we have invited the world to come to British Columbia. And as a result, we're paying the consequence of that. We've invited the world to come as investors, as visitors, as tourists, um, uh, to come as enterprise individuals. And so now we, we really have an issue where we don't have enough inventory to be able to meet the requirements. Look at some of the stats out of, um, um, homeowner protection office for new houses. Um, that are built under the warranty structure for market housing since 2010, 125 to 140,000 units that's fine, except for our population has changed by three to four hundred thousand mm-hmm. in the same window, and so we're we're not keeping up with the demands, which is part of the problem. Well, do you see density as an issue here then? Well, density is certainly an issue, um, and everyone is saying we need more affordable housing, but at the same token, we also have people in neighborhoods which are neighborhoods that have access to high transit, sure. saying we don't want that in our neighborhood, right? Yeah. And so. There, there is going to be some give and take. One of the interesting um, uh, anomalies we've seen, though, we, we've done some targeted surveys to try and find out what the impact of things like rental bylaws were on strata housing. So do rental bylaws cause a restriction for occupancy in buildings? So we did a 16-building investigation in Vancouver that included Point Grey, um, uh, Kitsilano, False Creek, Marpole, Vancouver East, uh, and looked at all the areas to try and figure out What's the impact of this? So what happened in 2010 was the laws changed around rental disclosure. So a developer could impose a rental disclosure on a building that essentially prevented rental bylaws from being applied to that building. So most of the new buildings now don't have rental bylaws. Um, the The assumption you would make out of them is that there are a lot more rentals available in those buildings, um, at, at which was the intent. There would be more rental housing available, um, and that, that would solve some of the problem. When we looked at the vacancies buildings that were 2010 and later that don't have rental bylaws um, actually have um, vacancies in the 20 percentile. Um, And the reason for that is because of speculators who have bought up multiple units and are just simply speculating on the market as a commodity. Speculators don't buy into buildings that have rental bylaws because they're not easy to buy and sell quickly. The anomaly of this is in the buildings that have rental bylaws, the older buildings, that the occupancy rates were actually below 1%. So there isn't so rental bylaws are not a barrier to occupancy. That's that's a misconception and that's one of the the you know it's one of the surprises that everyone saw out, out of the survey and it, it's kind of interesting when you look at that. And then you look at the types of investors who are purchasing these units, most of them are domestic. Most of them are local um, within British Columbia, they're the buyers, they're holding, they're speculating. And that's fueling the market as well. So, you know, it, it, it housing affordability is stock inventory, what's available. The other anomaly, though, I think is Airbnb. Um, it's something that has converted a lot of rental housing mm-hmm. into short-term business investment interest for high profit gain in return. And we've actually seen a number of what were units in the rental housing stock have just simply disappeared into Airbnb.
0: And that wouldn't be so
2: bad, apart from it's,
0: it's removing stock from the marketplace if they were paying their fair share of taxes or some kind of uh, business a tax on that?
2: Well, they're not paying their fair share of taxes. Uh, it's kind of falling into the cracks of Stratas that hadn't really anticipated how to deal with Airbnbs. Mm-hmm. Stratas are dealing with security problems, access problems, overuse problems in some of their buildings, you know, the constant hotel type atmosphere of people moving in and out every day. Uh, so Stratas are having struggle with that. Uh, one of the challenges for people in strata corporations is how to deal with Airbnbs and they're not rentals. They're not a rental under definition. It's a business practice. Mm-hmm. So Stratas Strata corporations need to look at business bylaws for two reasons. The first reason is to to quell the business activity and control what the outcome of it is. Um, But the other reason is if you deal with it as a rental bylaw, you may actually be granting an automatic exclusion from the bylaws because of all these owner-developer rental exemptions.
0: So strata councils uh, right across British Columbia, and particularly in Metro Vancouver where where the demand is high, need to incorporate new bylaws to deal with Airbnb well, and if, services if, like that? If
2: they're going to deal with Airbnb short-term stays, hotel stays, VRBO, um, there, there's some others. Anything that is not captured under a um, traditional rental or tenancy agreement, they need to deal with it as a business bylaw.
0: Is that a three-quarter vote? Seven- Byla-
2: bylaw amendments will be three-quarters votes at a general meeting, and I'd strongly recommend legal advice on writing those bylaws. Would they get in short? Would we see Stratus supporting that? Uh, I, many stratas have, even if nothing else, but to just control the type of business and activity and security that's happening in the buildings. Tony Gioventu is the executive director of CHOA, Condominium
0: Homeowners Association. He's also a member, as I mentioned earlier, of the Real Estate Council of BC's independent advisory group on real estate regulation in BC. Uh, that final report, originally due to be released earlier this month, has been delayed by request of the committee. Uh, that uh, he said should be out in a couple of weeks and we'll come back and talk to us about what's contained in that. Stay tuned. Uh, interesting to note, uh, we spoke by the way to Tony uh, yesterday on Vancouver Real Estate Today and the interesting thing for me was the local speculators that are involved with buying real estate, everybody that I talk to always talks about foreign investment, all this money that's coming from offshore. And there's no doubt that there is a lot of money coming in from offshore, but we always, or at least often, tend to forget about all of the money that's coming from within our own borders, our own boundaries, whether it's from British Columbia, whether it's from Ontario or elsewhere, or even from the United States. It's, well, I guess you'd call that offshore too, sort of, but it's not all money coming from the Asian countries that uh, many, many people seem to think. And there's no doubt that there is lots of money coming from that part of the world, but lots of local speculators. And the impact that Airbnb is having on the rental stock. There's so much, particularly from the city of Vancouver, talk about this lack of rental. The rentals, uh, it's almost impossible to find a place, a decent place to live. And then, then if you can find a decent place to live, you're looking at skyrocketing rents, And it's probably has to do with this Airbnb, as Tony points out, because people are thinking, why do I want long-term tenants at a fixed price? People who are going to call me to fix their plumbing, to fix this, to do that. I need a new fridge. I need a new stove. I need this. I need that. Uh, Why not turn it into a short-term rental? You can charge double or triple, make a pile of money, Not have the kind of problems that you would have with a regular renter, and by the way, I'm not putting down renters, (laughs) not not at all. But I'm thinking from a business perspective, it's and you want to make money with your investment. It just seems to make an awful lot of sense to do something like Airbnb or some kind of program like that. On the other hand, it's removing stock from. Uh, other people that need to go to school or need a place to live because they want to work uh, or live close to where they work. It's not a problem that's going to be easily solved, but the suggestion has been, if you're running an Airbnb, you need to be licensed and you need to pay taxes. Pretty simple. I mean, probably not that simple, but it seems simple enough to me. We'll take a quick break on the Home Discovery show. Appreciate your time this morning. When we come back, we're going to have some fun with Father's Day. We're going to get into Father's Day's must-haves home tech toys. That's next on News Talk 980 CKNW. Oh! Happy Father's Day! Ian Power with Steve Seaborn, the little contractor. The age of the smart home is here, from robot vacuums you can command from the other side of the world to fridges that can tell you when your food is going bad. Major manufacturers are investing in technology that's making our homes smarter. In fact, in many cases, smarter than we are. And being Father's Day, we want to see uh, what the tech toys are that dads must have. So we called up Get Connected co host Andy Barrar, and he joins us by phone to talk about dad tech toys uh, uh, and the must haves on his list. Uh, always nice to talk to you, Andy. How's it going?
3: Uh, it's going good, Ian. How are you doing?
0: Excellent. Thank you. Always appreciate your time and your insight. And uh, always, because I know you bring a lot of fun and enthusiasm to everything you do. And, uh, We've got a a list here. You know, many times you and I have talked on the Home Discovery Show about the the Nest smart thermostat, but today I see you have found the Ecobee 3. Uh, What makes this one different?
3: Well, I think when it comes to smart thermostats, a lot of people are familiar with Nest, which was purchased by Google. But um, there's another company called the Ecobee, and they come with the Ecobee 3 smart thermostat, And what makes this one different, and I think this is why dads are going to love it, is because it's going to easily help dads save money because the thermostat basically has uh, sensors that you put into various places uh, around the home. So when people aren't around, the heat will suddenly drop down in temperature. As soon as it kind of detects that people are are moving around, like say first thing in the morning or or during the evening, the temperature will automatically rise. So you don't even have to put it on a schedule. It can just determine by your body motion and and motion tracking to know when you need to have uh, the heat on and when you need to have it off.
0: One of the things that that I've noticed, the difference between uh, this and the Nest is that they've got the little sensors, the little, I don't know if they're pods, what you would call them, the little sensors that go in the different rooms. And their tagline is for homes with more than one room. Whereas the nest sits in the room where you have mounted it, this, I guess, feeds off the different little channels.
3: That's right. And this is for the forced air type of central heating that uh, most homes in British Columbia have today. And that's the that's the advantage of this one is because you could put one in the hallway, you could put one, um, you know, in the living space, in the living room or dining room, kitchen, and wherever people kind of move around, you can basically put these little sensors around the home, and then it will adjust the temperatures based on that. Another advantage is, especially for dads that have iPhones, is that EchoBeat works with the Apple HomeKit platform. So... Uh, it's great for homes that have a lot of uh, Apple users because everything's going to kind of work seamlessly within that ecosystem.
0: You know, Andy, you remember, you know what dadisms are, don't you?
3: Yes, of course.
0: Okay, well, my dad always used to say, put on a sweater if you're cold.
3: But my dad used to always say, uh, you know, shut the door. I'm not trying to heat all the cereal. Yeah,
0: <laughs> exactly. Well, Close the window. Are you trying to heat the outside? And you know what? I do the same thing. <laughs> I've turned into my dad. Um I wanted to ask you about this a little, slightly off the topic, but not really. With Nest, I've had a difficult time understanding this. When Nest first came out, it was developed by an ex-Apple guy, I have, his yeah. name for, fails me right now. He was the guy that was very much involved in the original iPod. He, he comes with huge credentials. And then he, and he was doing well, and then suddenly he sold out to Google. And I, I missed a step there somewhere along the way. It seems that Nest has kind of lost favor since they went over to Google.
3: Yeah, you know, that happens every time one of these big companies tries to buy up a startup. And what Google saw with Nest was really the first... To come out with that smart thermostat design, so they were like the industry leader. And what Google was trying to do, and there's a big race going on right now for the connected home, because each of the different manufacturers wants to create the de facto standard. So Google has their Google Home, of course, Apple has their Home Kit. Mm-hmm. Then you got you got Samsung, and they have their own uh, ecosystem as well that they're trying to basically get in. And you know, from someone like my point of view that works with all these different tech products, is it's like, can't we all just get along? Can't all these different <laughs> devices just work together? Because otherwise, you really have to subscribe to one ecosystem. And what we're seeing right now is customers don't want that. You want to be able to pick and match different types of products based on your needs. And I think in, in the next couple of years, Ian, we're going to start to see all these different manufacturers start to play ball with one another. You're going for, to have for, to. For the consumer, because we're start, we're seeing a lot of these connected home devices and um you know, in, in a perfect world, yeah, you would just subscribe to one, but most people don't.
0: Well, one of the biggest closed shops is Apple. I mean, they created the, the ecosystem that is known as Apple. And I, I'm hearing talk now that with their next uh, incarnation for your operating system on your uh, your iPhone, that they're going to be a lot more open to third parties.
3: I, you know, I think they have to, because your ecosystem is only good when you have lots and lots of apps available. And um, we've seen other types of products come out where they just didn't, couldn't build that ecosystem. BlackBerry, for example, comes to mind with their BlackBerry 10 operating system. If you don't have the apps, you can't attract consumers, so what they're trying to do is get the third-party developers opening what's called their APIs to allow people to kind of innovate in that space. Um, and we're going to see more and more of that because, the, you know, the connected home and I'd say the connected car are the last two frontiers right now where they're trying to basically become the de facto standards. Mm -hmm.
0: Next on the list, and I must say this is a a must for anyone who hates cleaning gutters, the iRobot Luge Gutter Cleaning Robot. It takes a dangerous job and does it for you. Andy, this is like a dream come true.
3: It is. It's like, you know, it's a great time to be alive, Ian, when you you have a robotic gutter cleaner. Basically what this is, it looks kind of like a snake. It's a... It's a small robotic, um, you know, basically robot that has these little spinners on the front. And what you do is you would basically be on a ladder, and then you would place this into your gutter on one end. And then you have a remote control, and you could just kind of drive this thing up and down your gutters, and it's going to spin all that gunk out of there so that makes sure that you have a good water flow going down into your drains. And um, it's battery-powered. It works for a long time. And like you said, gutter cleaning can be very dangerous, especially mm-hmm. for, for when you're, you know, two or three story houses. Uh, this takes out that worry. And I think a lot of dads are going to appreciate that, especially ones that don't like to be on the ladder for uh, a long period of time or on the roof trying to uh, get those gutters cleaned and, and uh, clog free.
0: And the nice thing too is in terms of safety as well is you put the ladder up once you place this robotic into the gutter and then you, it's like if you're cleaning gutters you've got to move every two feet with your with your ladder and every time you move the ladder every time you climb up and it, you know that it presents some kind of a risk. Uh, I watched the video for this, and I have to say, just watching it, I, I could just sit and watch this thing go. You put this in the gutter, and away it goes. It's got the the nose brush, and it's got the side brushes, and it it actually does a remarkably good job.
3: Yeah, it does. And this company, iRobot, um, they were making basically robotics for like the military for years, and what they started to do was design more consumer grade levels, and. This this was a big need, you know. And like you said, you put the ladder up on one end and you just drop it into the gutter and you can go all the way down and then go reverse and bring it all the way back. So you don't have to move your your ladder or get on the roof. Um it's it's a great solution for for dads out there that like to You know, have that peace of mind knowing that their gutters are clear, especially if you have, like, in my case, I have uh, big trees in front Mm -hmm. of my house. So I get pine cones and pine needles Mm -hmm. all stuck in the gutters. They're the worst. The worst. They are the worst.
0: You know what? I got to tell you, Andy, even if this thing didn't clean gutters, it'd still be cool.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's a a, a must-have just to show all your friends. (laughs) It's uh, just cool. Yeah, Uh, it
0: is. We got to take a break, but we're going to move into something. We're going, and I know today it's 2016, but let's be honest dad owns the barbecue and we're going to get into some tech toy for for the barbecue when we come back we're talking to andy barrar from get connected uh he'll be back with us in just a moment on the home discovery show from news talk 980 cknw Father's Day edition of the Home Discovery Show with Ian Power and Steve Seaborn, the little contractor. On the phone with us is Get Connected co-host Andy Barrar. Get Connected on CKNW every Saturday morning at 10. Uh, Andy, many dads will find themselves today on Father's Day standing over a hot barbecue grill. There's no question about that. It's still dad's domain. I haven't really figured out why. Uh, That's just what dads do. And now dad might even be willing to clean up with the GrillBot, an automatic grill cleaning robot.
3: Well, that's right, Ian. A lot of dads love uh, manning the grill, but let, let's face it, nobody likes really cleaning up all the mess afterwards. Thankfully, we have robotics to do that for us. It's called the GrillBot, and it's—I guess the best way to, to describe it, Ian—it's a Roomba for your grill. <laughs> you basically <laughs> you put this little guy on; it looks like a little tiny robot, and um, you know it'll clean your grill. And so that the next time you're ready to. Uh, use the barbecue it'll be uh nice and clean and uh i think a lot of dads would appreciate that just like you said because they are the owner of and they man the grills for the home and um you know no one really likes to do the cleanup afterwards so now we have robots to do that for us
0: and you know what i'm i was thinking steve and i were talking during the break with this even if you don't have a barbecue this still would be fun to watch put it on the floor and let it chase the cat around
3: Exactly. We're seeing a lot of these types of robotic uh, types of cleaners out there. There are some that you could put on your window, and it will just climb your window like Spider-Man almost and clean it. And that's actually really, really beneficial for homes where you have a high ceiling or maybe high windows that are hard to clean.
0: That's what I need. Now
3: now you basically can get this little guy, and he'll just kind of go up and down, just like a, a Roomba does on a carpet, but it's going to do it vertically on windows. And now, thankfully, we have one that'll do it on your grill as well. So, uh, you know, robots, if they take over the world, that's great, as long as they do all the cleaning for us.
0: How about uh, George Jensen? Would he approve?
3: I think so. I think so. Um, you know, and it's just funny, like, we're just starting to see this stuff come out. Imagine what it's going to look like in five years. You know, we we probably have, like, little Wi-Fi cameras on built in so you can watch your grill being cleaned uh you know, in real time from anywhere. <laughs> it's kind of cool.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. I, I have to ask, Lo, Andy, do these like this grill cleaner doesn't really work, or is it just fun?
3: Well, let's let's be honest. And it's kind of like the Roomba. It's like you know, nothing's going to beat a broom if you want to get your floor cleaned or, <laughs> or or a traditional vacuum. It is kind of a novelty item. You know, are you going to get the best cleaning grill from from this grill bot? Probably not. But it's just kind of cool to have. You know, you, your dad can have a beer and watch this little robot clean the, <laughs> clean the grill for him. You know, it's just it's kind of a cool thing to just to play around with and and show friends and family.
0: Andy, both you and I are are guys that care about our lawns. Uh, you and I are actually uh, uh, unwittingly in a bit of a lawn competition right now. But but this has to be the greatest gift of all when it comes to lawn care from Husqvarna. It's the auto mower. And as the name suggests, it's also robotic. It's a robotic lawnmower that is uh, perfect if you want a carpet-like lawn. This is the kind of thing you need without any of the the push, the pull, and the sweat.
3: Absolutely. Now, now, again, we were talking about Roombas, which are basically these little tiny, like, vacuum robotic vacuum cleaners for the home. Imagine a big one that does and cuts your lawn for you, and. The way it works, it has a base station, Ian, and it's, it's all battery-powered. So when it sits on the base station, it's charging. And then it just kind of ventures out. And what you have to do is you have to take – it comes with this, like, string that you basically draw the border of your yard. And it starts to understand what your yard is and, and figure out basically a map internally. Hmm. From there, it just keeps cutting it a little bit throughout the day. It just keeps kind of going. When it's running out of power, it knows where its base station is automatically goes back in, docks itself, charges up, and then cuts your lawn again. Oh, man. In fact, you know what's really crazy? is When, when I first saw this, I contacted Husqvarna right away. I said, I love cutting grass, <laughs> but I will totally give it to a robot if this works. Yeah, And I did get it. Oh yeah! Except it was last year in the heat of the summer right. where the grass was dead. So oh, yeah, there
0: was nothing to cut.
3: I never had a chance. So I think um, maybe next spring, when it's really um, nice and thick, I think I'm going to try to contact him again and try it out because if this works, I'm definitely buying it. It's going to be a game changer. Like you said, we both are really into our, our lawns and got a little bit of competition, but it'd be nice if we had like robots that were cutting it for us so we could just admire it from the deck while, the, while it cuts for us.
0: I'm just saying, Andy, my lawn's greener than yours.
3: It, it is, it is. <laughs> I, I didn't put any fertilizer this year. I was taking a year off, but... Just wait till next spring, Ian. We're okay. Have a, a great competition. For, well, uh, who, who has the greenest lawn? Yeah,
0: don't forget to overseed uh, in the fall. Don't wait till spring. Look oh. at uh, this. This idea, though, that it will draw a map of your yard and re- and return to its base station, it, it, it's virtually effortless you don't have to do much at all it will just take care of everything Uh, again the question is and i know you don't know because with your own experience but based on reviews and that does it actually do a good job of cutting
3: well it doesn't like a typical lawnmower when you cut you can see the big difference of it being cut the way that this one works in the blade it just it's just trimming it very very gently but it's doing that all days right basically your lawn never actually gets you know uh long it doesn't actually get to that point because it's constantly doing it throughout the day one thing that I found really interesting about it is because imagine you have this running and you're at work uh, it would be a security concern if someone tries to pick it up a big alarm starts to sound oh. which is a big deterrent for somebody who's trying to uh, take your robotic lawnmower <laughs> from your lawn so it, it does have some some security features in addition to uh, you know being self-automated and just doing the job once you've got it all set up
0: What's the next thing uh, coming down that you see, whether it's for dad or anybody? What do you see in terms of home automation? Because uh, we, we keep hearing about the home, smart homes, and it seems to be taking a long time, longer than other types of technologies or different applications. The home stuff seems to be taking a little bit longer.
3: It is, and I think, um, I think for a lot of consumers, they, they like to start with like one or two products. And for people that are interested in building a connected home, my, my, my suggestion has always been do something that's going to give you benefits right away. Of course, the smart thermostats are going to help save you money. I, I, I think uh, BC Hydro also provides a rebate if you start to install one of these smart thermostats. But another great one is the uh, smart uh, door, or doorbells because you can basically have a Wi-Fi camera and if you do a lot of online shopping and you're at work, what you could do is see the person that's ringing uh, Mm -hmm. your doorbell remotely and have a two-way conversation. And if you get one of those smart deadbolts, what you could do is open the door, allow that person access so they could drop the package and then you can shut the door and then remotely lock it. So for as people move more and more towards online buying, I think they'll start to, to use those kind of services to basically uh, have packages delivered to them, have it in their house, but know that everything was secure and that you know FedEx guy's not rummaging around your house because you're gonna have cameras everywhere. You're gonna be able to see anything or, or get uh, push notifications if any motion is being detected inside I, your home. I
0: think this is one of the reasons, slightly, again, veering a bit off here, but maybe one of the reasons why the big box stores are becoming big boutique stores instead of big warehouses is because so many people are ordering just about everything when it comes to their house, whether it be flooring, whether it be drywall, uh, tile, whatever it is, you can get anything now online.
3: Yeah, it's called showrooming. And what happens is the consumer will do all the research at home of what they want. They'll go to a store kind of to look and feel at it, but then they'll go online and buy it for a cheaper price. So the retailers really have to have two things. One, they have to have really knowledgeable product staff because the consumer is coming in with a lot of research behind their back even before they inquire about a product. And two, got to have good you know, policies in terms of both buying online, if you wanted to buy from their site, or the return policies because that's one thing that when you buy online becomes a hassle is trying to return something that you've you know, purchased yeah. from an Amazon. we
0: got to go, Andy, but appreciate your time. Hope you'll come back soon. Anytime, Ian. Andy is the co-host of Get Connected on TV and radio. It's heard on CKNW Saturday mornings at 10. Happy Father's Day to you. Stay tuned for Vancouver Consumer. That's coming up next. Jamie Benteen is our technical producer for Steve Seaborn. My name is Ian Power, and this is the Home Discovery Show. Be sure to check out the Home Discovery Show page on Facebook. You're listening to News Talk 980 CKNW.